grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Now, when we consider the New Testament writings in our Bible, what is meant when the writers pen the words, brothers and sisters? When I refer to you gathered here today, those of you watching online as brothers and sisters, how does that sound to your ears? Well, if you kind of grew up and if part of a faith family, it sounds pretty normal, right? It's a good thing. But to someone not part of a faith family, they might be thinking, what do you mean, brothers and sisters? What in the world are you talking about, Pastor Dan? Well, in New Testament times especially, that was a common way of talking about those who were in the faith family wherever you were. In fact, the word brothers is found 223 times in the New Testament, mostly referring to fellow believers, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's just one example that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians. He said these words, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Sad to say, often, that's not what we're doing as churches. We are dividing ourselves in so many different ways. 20,000 different Christian denominations, depending on who's counting. That's not what Paul said we should be doing. Jesus and the apostles referred to fellow believers as brothers and sisters in order to denote something special, a unique relationship, a closeness that exists nowhere else in all of creation. Now, the only way I can even come close to describing this is from my own experiences with my real brother and sister. My brother and sister were five and seven years younger than me, so I wasn't real close in age to either of them. Yet we grew up together for at least 11 years until I went to college. I got to know him pretty well during that time. We ate together. We slept in the same house. Sometimes my brother and I had the same bedroom. We'd get in trouble together, and we would even fight together. And we had no choice because we lived together as a family. And of course, we still retain that connection today. We get together as much as we're able. I was with my family, my mom and my brother and sister and their families this past weekend, actually. And we know that we're always going to be in each other's lives, for good or for bad, right? Because there's a little bit of up and down, give and take in our relationship. Now, as I describe my relationship with my own family members, I can imagine that many of you are thinking about those relationships yourself, your own situation, and maybe you've got a better relationship with your siblings, maybe it's not so good right now. Maybe you hardly talk with your brothers and sisters, or maybe you're an only child, in which case you shouldn't talk, because people will look at you funny. <laughs> now, no matter what your home life was or is like today, God wants you to have a close and connected bond with one another in this faith family, what we call church, what we call the congregation here in Hopkins, Minnesota. And as you look around this church, do you consider these members to be your brothers and sisters? Well, if the answer is yes, then that is exactly the fellowship that God wants us to have as Christians. That's exactly the way he's designed it and set it up. It's a much stronger bond than crazy glue or super glue. And what it's supposed to mean is that we can talk together about Jesus. We can even get deep, go real theological, if you will. 
but it's also supposed to mean that we can be lovingly honest with each other without fear of losing one another. Now, we are in kind of a unique place in that we have three different service styles for three different parts of the congregation, and we rarely get together. So when we decided we would do Side Dish Sunday after the 11 o'clock service today, and we decided we would have an ice cream social at the same time, it was very intentional that that was a time when everybody could come together because it's very seldom that we all get together like that. So again, noon, Side Dish Sunday, we're going to have plenty of food. So come back even if you don't have a side dish. Well, it's in this context of family that we hear in Matthew's writing from today, and it's an often misunderstood concept, but it's about looking after our brothers and sisters in Christ spiritually. Jesus starts us off in verse 15. He said, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Now this whole concept is almost completely foreign to people in our current day. I think most people's idea of church today seem to be it's more like a health club. You can come and go as you want. You can stay there and get fit. You could work with the trainer or not. You can work by yourself. Maybe you'll have some friends there. Maybe not. I think that's a shame. Because basically you're saying you don't really feel the need to be connected with anyone else that might be there doing the same thing that you are. Many people, especially those that go to health clubs, they might rather just put on their headphones and listen to their music and do their own thing. Yeah, I think a lot of churches today and a lot of members of churches think that, well, I'm going to come, I'm going to get fed spiritually, and then I'm going to go without a whole lot of thought to interacting with or encouraging or being supportive with their brothers and sisters. No more and no less. Don't judge me. Don't worry about me. Don't think about me. Just leave me alone and I'll leave you alone. But friends, that's not God's concept of a church. We are set apart. We are special. We're supposed to look different from the world. We're supposed to feel different from the world so that we can make a difference in the world. Ephesians 4 couldn't be more clear. Paul wrote these words. He said, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. How do we do that if all we do is come and go. If we don't stay and talk to each other and have conversations about things that are going on in our lives, how can we build up the body of Christ? And Paul's target for all the parts of the body of Christ is unity in Christ, which he goes on to say. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Individual parts working together to form one cohesive and strong body. We're not just joined together under Christ's name. We're joined together under a common faith because of our belief in what Jesus did for us. What do we confess? We confess that we're sinners from our birth, that we've been saved by one thing, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ, given to us through the word and in our sacraments. We confess that, yes, there are sins, not just mistakes, not just woulda, shoulda, coulda, oughtas. There are sins. 
And we confess that God judges those sins and that the entire life of a Christian should be one of repentance for those sins. We confess that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, through Scripture alone. This is the inner conviction that ties us all together, binds us into that common fight against the devil, against the world, and sometimes even against our own sinful flesh. Very simply, as we can carry over Pastor Neil's theme from last week, we can envision this as we are in a war, and we are fighting together in it with no one left behind with parts unplayed in the ministry. Onward, Christian soldiers, we sing that song, right? But if we see a member of our battalion being turned by enemy propaganda and starting to head over to that side, friends, it's our duty to keep that person connected so that we can rescue him. We can bring that person back. Because said very simply, sin enslaves. When someone has chosen to sin to go against what God clearly states to not do, when that sin takes over a person's lifestyle and is not repented of, We know that that snare of sin can lead to unbelief and ultimately to us ending up in hell. Because Satan doesn't quit. He'll use everything that he can to grab each and every one of you. Why? Because we have a target on our back. Everyone who professes to be a Christian, those watching online, those here right now, those who went to service last night will be at the 11 o'clock, we all have a target on our back. Because if the devil can stop us, he can stop the message from getting out. We are a church, a group of individuals, yes, but with a common understanding, a common belief. And we need to protect our family. Member of a church or not, if you find yourself fighting in Satan's camp and doing his will, it won't matter whether you're a member of a church. It won't matter if you're a Lutheran, a Baptist, a Catholic, or anything, because eventually you're going to be in hell. And there's not going to be any of those designations there. Paul shares this truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't miss this. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Then he goes on to list many lifestyles that are against God's will for us. He says those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery, or are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow. To say that out loud in our day and age, that's pretty brave of us to be able to confess that. But friends, Paul closes this message of law out with a beautiful gospel. He says this, And we're right there with him. Some of you were once like that. Some of those things that he was laying out, he said, some of you were like that. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So how could any of us just allow a fellow Christian to fall into those things? To any of those things that Paul listed without talking to them, without reprimanding them. So what Jesus does next, he moves in Matthew's Matthew's passage into a discussion about keys. Keys. And no, he's not talking about the keys to our home or cars. 
Because as Christians, we also possess the office of the keys, the keys to the kingdom, Jesus called them. And they were given by Jesus himself to us. So it's something we should treasure. When we do with those keys what we understand God has given them to us to do, we're using them faithfully. We learn about the keys a little more in verse 19 when Jesus said to Peter, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That very first part is simple enough. Jesus is giving Peter something special, keys to the kingdom of heaven. But what does it mean that these keys can bind and loosen things on heaven and earth? Well, we go to Martin Luther and those early reformers of the church back in their day, and he explains when he wrote this in his catechism. He said, the use of the keys is that special power and right which Christ gave to his church on earth to forgive the sins of the penitent sinners, those who are regretful, but to refuse forgiveness to the impenitent as long as they do not repent. He lays it out pretty clearly here. Jesus goes even further and lays out God's kind of love in the rest of our passages. The first thing he says what we need to do, he calls us to have a private conversation with that unrepentant sinner. That if someone sins against you, go and talk to them alone first. But often, as is the case, that brother or sister in Christ maybe doesn't see that they're sinning. Or maybe they want to selfishly continue doing it. And often when that happens, that person will get angry. And they'll start making counter accusations. I had to have a conversation like this recently. And I was called unloving, uncaring, hypocritical, intolerant. You know all those catchwords today. Jesus said that if that person won't listen to you when you go alone, then take a small number of others to confront that person. We might call this an intervention, right? Including other witnesses establishes that this isn't a matter of one Christian simply holding a grudge against another. It also helps to corroborate the fact that an actual sin is being committed and it isn't a matter of false judgment. When one or two respected Christians tells a brother or sister the same thing in regards to their unrepentant sin, then perhaps that erring person will change their ways and see that they're headed down a bad path. But unfortunately, as Jesus said, sometimes that's not going to be enough either. Then when he takes it a step further, Jesus says this, take it to the church. And we say, what? Air out a person's private sin, private life in front of the church? Air their dirty laundry for everyone to see? Wouldn't that be embarrassing? Well, yes. And if the whole church agrees that the behavior is sinful... It gives an opportunity for overwhelming testimony against that one member in their unapologetic behavior and that it's wrong. But when this is not listened to, then the final step must be taken. Jesus says, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It's commonly what they refer to as excommunication, and no, that does not mean kicking someone out of the church. Excommunication is telling someone that he or she has succumbed to Satan's temptation, and they're no longer walking as a child of God. It's telling someone the truth, that they are headed on a path of no return. 
And that's a scary statement. It's a scary thing to tell someone, but yet it's nothing more than acknowledging what God has already stated and what he has given us to do in our office of the keys. Is it easy? No, it's definitely not easy. But is it important? If you care about the person, if you care about their eternal well-being, it's absolutely critical. Because when the devil gets a foothold in someone's life, especially if it's a fellow brother or sister, it can so easily derail their eternal life, or it can even infect others, distract us from ways in which we can do effective ministry out into the community. Think about it this way. When someone in your family catches COVID, they're encouraged to isolate themselves, to get that bug through their system. And I know not everybody agrees with all the things to do with COVID, but I'm just saying what you're encouraged to do. They encourage you to stay isolated for five or seven, even 10 days until the virus. Well, it's still there even after that time, but it's no longer something that will pass on easily. Talking about sin, that sin is still there. It's still a temptation. But the danger, that unrepentant behavior that caused the isolation from the rest of the family Hopefully, that will be behind us. Back in 1977, Barbara Walters did an interview with First Lady Betty Ford around Christmas time. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember that. Well, as the interview progressed, it didn't take long to realize that Mrs. Ford was kind of slurring her words. She was becoming confused, and it was obvious that she was intoxicated. Barbara later said she chose to scrap almost all of the interview. It was like everyone knew that Betty Ford had a drinking problem, but they just tried to ignore it, kind of shove it under the rug. When Mrs. Ford spoke later in her life, she regretted that everyone hid her alcoholism for so long. Why? Because it made it that much harder to be able to get it fixed, to ask for help and escape that addiction. Friends, to repent of sin means being sorry for the sin, to stop committing that sin, and then to trust that Jesus has forgiven it. If the individual refuses to repent, then Jesus said the disciples were to bind the sin to the individual, kind of like what a police officer does when he pulls you over and gives you a ticket. That ticket binds that infraction against you. You can't just drive away as if nothing happened because it's on your record. You're going to have to go to court. You're going to have to pay a fine, maybe both. But you can't just pretend it's good. So when we say to an impenitent that his or her sin is still bound to them, we're announcing only what God said, that they're going to have to answer for that sin on judgment day. And we don't want it to go that far. This idea of brotherhood and sisterhood is a principle on which the Christian church is founded. But how many self-proclaimed Christians have fallen down in their responsibilities as fellow brothers and sisters in the faith? The good news, the wonderful news, is that Jesus doesn't leave us to wallow in the mud. He doesn't consider us not worth the time or not worth the effort. Friends, we know that Jesus became our brother, and he did so by taking on our human frail flesh. He then confronted us with our sin and told us that we can't even lust or hate or be angry with our neighbor, that we have to be perfect. That's what the commandments say. But then Jesus went even a step further. Not only did he only become our brother, but he went so far as to become our sin. 
the chief of sinners on the cross. He didn't leave us behind to battle against Satan alone. He took on God's wrath as our brother. And guess what? He won that battle. The battle is over. He left our sin in the grave. And with the gift of baptism, he applied his forgiveness to us and gives the Holy Spirit to us to begin and nurture our faith. With the gift of his Holy Supper, he gives us a way to stay strong in the faith. And see, picked us up out of Satan's clutches and lifts us to heaven itself. That is the core of Christianity, that Jesus is our brother and makes us brothers and sisters in him. I'm going to end with a story about a young man named Shane who grew up to be a great athlete, good member of the community, a strong businessman. But the amazing thing is how well Sean did, or Shane did, sorry, as against the rest of his family. The rest of his family, they didn't do so well. They were always in trouble. His mom and dad had been divorced several times. His dad was an alcoholic. His mom was frail in her health. She always seemed to be sick. Her brother had been to jail several times. And sister had three kids from two different guys out of wedlock. Time and time again, Shane found himself having to help out his family of getting them out of trouble. One day, a good friend of Shane asked him, don't you wish you had a different family? And Shane answered with a sigh, well, sometimes, yeah, I kind of wish that they were more normal, whatever that is. I wish they weren't always getting into so much trouble, but I'm so glad that God has given me the gifts that he has. And I need to remind myself that this is a family God gave me and that they do need my help. I'm glad that he gave me the gifts to try and lead them in the right direction without condoning or encouraging them to remain in their problems. And it's the very best that I can do. You know, sometimes family can cause you a lot of trouble. They definitely know how to push your buttons, don't they? They'll often press the limits. They'll test your love. The same is true when it comes to your spiritual family. And all of us have different problems. Some are bigger problems, some are smaller problems. But as long as we're family, we owe it to one another to look out for each other as best as we can so that we're not fighting alone in these battles in our life. That's what being a brother and sister in Christ is all about. As Jesus, your brother, considers the fact that you have so many brothers and sisters that you can count on, that you can be encouraged by, and in turn, you can support as well. So be ready to do that. Be ready to fight for them when the time comes. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.